Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being with us. I hope you're all doing okay in these still strange times, aren't they? Thanks to Rachel and Benjamin, mainly Benjamin, of course, for reading Psalm 46. And that's what we're going to look at in these next few moments this morning. Now, Psalm 46, it was written as an encouragement to the Jews and to praise God for being an ever-present help to Israel during her times of distress. We know that it was written as a song because it begins with some instructions to the chief musician. And it's set out like a song as we look at it. Verses 1 to 3, those are like the first verse of the song. Verses 4 to 6, verse 2. And then we go to the chorus in verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verses 8 to 10, those are like verse 3. And then the chorus repeats in verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In terms of the inspiration for the psalm, you know, the majority of biblical scholars think and point back to the attack of Sennacherib on Jerusalem when Hezekiah was the king. The Assyrians, they'd been marching through Syria, then Israel, and now they're at Judah. And they're left in their wake, cities in ruins, corpses and great fear. Hezekiah in Jerusalem, he sent tribute money, hoping to buy off the ruthless invader. And initially it worked, but then Sennacherib began to have second thoughts. And he sent a man called Rabshakeh, and he demanded to Hezekiah, that they opened the gates of Jerusalem to let the invaders in. While this is going on, Hezekiah, he's consulting the prophet Isaiah, who tells him to refuse the demands of Sennacherib. Once Rabshakeh finds this out, he starts to mock and he scorns the people of God. He tells Sennacherib this, and he takes, who then takes the entire army and surrounds Jerusalem with 185,000 men. Uh, that very night, God sent one angel who wiped out all 185,000, took out the entire army. Now that's worth writing a song about, isn't it? And if we see it as a song with three verses, then verse one is about a refuge. Verse two, about a river. And verse three, about a ruler. So let's look at this then. First of all, a refuge. You know, apparently Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favourite psalm. During the dark times when, and, and the dangerous times when, uh, the Reformation when he was taken on the might of the Pope and the Catholic Church. Luther would turn to his trusted friend, Philip Melanchthon, easy for me to say, and he'd exclaim, let's sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. And it inspired him to write the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, where do we seek refuge when life gets overwhelming? You often see children, don't they, when, they, when young children, when they get scared, they run to their parents and they maybe peep out from behind their legs. But sadly, we grow up and parents aren't with us all the time, are they? So where do we go for our refuge? Well, our Heavenly Father is always there. And it's good to know that God is always there, waiting to answer our prayers, to meet our every need. Because God is our refuge. We shouldn't look for refuge in the bank account or the economy. Nothing can stop God's provision. For his followers and it's like with our strength as well that doesn't come from within us but from outside from God you know we can feel physically and spiritually weak but then we spend time worshiping God with God praying worshiping and our spirits lifted and we can feel rejuvenated because when God is on our side we have nothing to fear when God is in control of every aspect of our life why should we worry it doesn't matter about the weather, it doesn't matter about the price of petrol, although I'm enjoying the price of it at the moment. It doesn't matter about a global pandemic, because God will provide for his people. The economy in heaven 
will never fail. And God knows no limits at all. So secondly, there's a, a river, sorry. Secondly, a river. So as well as providing refuge, God provides life. Apparently the city of Jerusalem has no rivers running through it, but there are streams flowing underneath it, the main one being the spring of Gihon. Now from what I've read, and we don't know for sure, but there's some thought that in anticipation of the attack from Sennacherib, King Hezekiah got engineers to divert the spring under the city so that when they were under siege, when they were trapped in there, they didn't have to surrender because they had water to drink from. Now, as I said, we don't know that for certain. Some archaeologists think that this tunnel was built a bit later, but maybe it was built by King Hezekiah and then redone later. We're not sure. But the key thing is the psalmist talks about the joy brought by the river, a source of life, and that's in direct contrast to that roaring ocean outside the city described in verse 3. We also see that the stream came to flow under Jerusalem, whether it was by Hezekiah's tunnel or not, the reason for their victory wasn't because they had H2O, it was because they had God. And are we connected to those streams that make glad the city of God? We read in John 4 verse 14, Jesus telling the Samaritan woman that anyone drinking the water he gives will never thirst again. And it would be like a fresh bubbling stream, stream bubbling spring, sorry, giving eternal life. And we need to be drinking that water that Jesus gives, don't we? That daily discipline of prayer. Worship, meditation, reading the Bible, moments with God where we drink in and allow his river to flow through us. So refuge and river. And thirdly, verse 3 looks at a ruler. And in the third verse, we're uh, invited to see that what God is doing, how he has everything under control. We're encouraged to find refuge in him at the start of the chapter. We're encouraged to find life in him in the middle of the chapter. And now we're encouraged to see that through it all, he is in control. Encouraged to shift our focus from our circumstances, whether they're overwhelming or whether actually they're quite comfortable. Look at, focus, comprehend what God is doing and understand that He, it is he that is doing it. Things look very troubling, didn't they? But God met every battle head on and he destroyed the work of the enemy. It's easy to become fearful when we find ourselves up against great difficulties. But God is faithful. He will always bring us through. Desolation may come. Kingdoms will fall. Wars will come. But in the end, it will all be brought to an end by the hand of God. He breaks the power of the weapons of man. He brings armies of the world to nothing. And he brings an end to war. Peace will reign on the earth because God has won and we are on his side. So therefore, we win too. You know, there's some great words of encouragement and comfort in Psalm 46. And we've just looked at some briefly. But as I was looking at them in more detail, uh, I, well, as I was preparing, sorry, I thought we'd look at them in more detail. But then as, as I was looking at this verse, sorry, this chapter, there was one word in particular which kept getting my attention. I kept going back to a word which has got no definite translation from the Hebrew. And so therefore it's not included in some versions of the Bible, particularly the online versions. And it wasn't actually heard when Rachel and Benjamin read Psalm 46 out to us earlier. When it is printed, it appears after verses 3, 7 and 11, and the word is Selah. 
Now, there's some uncertainty about the meaning of this word, and many commentators think it means to pause or to reflect. Remember, this psalm is one of 55 that were addressed to the chief musician. So Selah could have been a request for the listener to pause or, uh, and think about what they'd heard, or it could have been a space for the voices to pause that were singing, or it could have been for the instruments to carry on playing. We don't really know for certain what Selah means, but let's look at it this morning. So Psalm 46, it was a song, and to me, it's written with a confidence and a certainty. It starts with God. God, an ever-present help. God, our refuge and strength in every circumstance. And although the world may be literally falling down around us, we have nothing to fear. And then we're instructed to pause, to stop and to reflect about what's been sung. Why, why do we need to stop? We know what we're singing to be true. So why do we pause? You know, there are a couple of other Hebrew words that get used much more frequently today. Amen and hallelujah. And we're much more familiar hearing those during worship, aren't we? And yet Selah appears in the Bible, more uh, in the Old Testament, more often than hallelujah and amen. Just imagine for a moment we're back at Grace Academy and we're worshipping God. What words do people use? Hallelujah. Amen. Words of encouragement. Words of agreement. Words of triumph even. What we don't hear is Selah. Pause. Now I say that to emphasise the lack of understanding about the word. Because we don't know whether Selah was pronounced as part of the song. Or an instruction, if you like, given by the chief musician to those around. Or whether it was just a prompt for the singers and musicians as they, as they led. But regardless of the, the word, regardless of that, the word sealer causes us to pause and consider what God may be saying. We don't fully understand it, so what is God trying to say to us through it? It gives us that opportunity to stop, to take a moment away from the crazy, busy, non-stop life that we all tend to live and consider the mysteries and wonders of God. You know, knowledge is a good thing, isn't it? It's good to learn. Information that we need for employment, for interest or uh, and hobbies, or just general life skills. You know, my brother gave me his old road bike to use, and I've been using it on an indoor bike trainer over the winter. Maybe I could have used it a bit more. But a few weeks ago, uh, the weather was good, so I thought, I'll take it out on the road. And you know what? It was terrible. The brakes were making a grinding noise, the gears wouldn't shift correctly, the bike needed some attention. Now, the brakes weren't like brakes I've had on other bikes. They weren't on the rim. These were like disc pad, uh, pads on a disc. And so I looked at them. I looked at what the, where the screws were. I looked at 30 seconds of a tutorial on YouTube. And yet, that's a screw to undo. Let's get on with it. So I started to work. And I unscrewed it. I got the pads out. Pushed the calipers back. And I put the new pads and I put those in. Great. Job done, that was easy. Except when I came to put the wheel back on, there wasn't space between the, the brake pads to get the, the disc through. Not to worry, I thought. There's other screws around. I'll just loosen a couple of those. I'll get it on, tighten it up, it'll be fine. So I did that, loosened a couple of screws. And then the wheel, yep, popped in, great, no problem. But then I noticed there was some liquid on the floor. 
And when I turned the bike over the right way and pressed the brake lever, there was absolutely no resistance there whatsoever. Because in my haste, I hadn't learned fully the lesson about changing brakes. And I'd unscrewed the, uh, a couple of screws which let all the brake fluid out. Oh dear. So you can be certain then that when it came to refilling the brake fluid, I watched the tutorial several times and I made notes before attempting to refill the brake fluid because, and because I'd taken the time to stop and to learn, it was far more successful. And it also encouraged me then to try and sort the gears out as well. So I stopped again. I downloaded the tutorial. I watched it, did the gears, great. And now the bike runs great on the road. So knowledge, I use that story to show that knowledge is a good thing. But more than that, it's definitely good to study the Bible and learn all we can about God. And if you're a Christian in this morning, I'm sure you're familiar with the sentiment, if not the exact words, of Psalm 46. In times of trouble, we turn to God because he is our strength. But there's a difference between knowing it up here and knowing it in here. The difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Because if we're not careful, we can run verses like, Oh, God is my refuge and strength very quickly out of our mouths when we're facing problems. Because that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? And we sort of believe it, but at the same time, we've got a thousand and one ideas going through our heads about how we're going to sort this issue out. Now, I'm not saying that in every difficult situation we face that we sit back, do nothing, and we wait for God just to sort everything out. You know, sometimes though, that may be the case. And as we pause and allow God to work without our hindrance, we can just marvel at how he's at work in every circumstance. But sometimes there's a need for us to be doing something in those times. But what's our posture? What's our starting position when those problems come? Do we pause? Do we rest? Do we reflect on the promises of God? Do we find peace in him and face our problems from that starting point? Or do we say, the Lord's my refuge, and then we look to busy ourselves, trying to help ourselves and battle our way out of times of trouble. This psalm encourages, encourages us to take what we know, words that we may know really, really well, and to stop and reflect on what they truly mean, to take them to heart and to find peace in them. If we don't, not only do we go into battle against the problems that we're facing, potentially we're also battling God. Because if he wants us to stop, to pause, to rest, and then we don't, you know, maybe overemphasising our role in the fight, we're working against his will, which is never a good place to be. And it's not going to end well, is it? The psalmist wrote Psalm 46, from the human viewpoint. God is our refuge and strength. He didn't write, I am the Lord your God, I am your refuge and strength. And the psalm is built in pauses throughout to help the listener or singer grasp the words of truth. But then we get to verse 10 and it switches as though God was speaking directly. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. A direct instruction from God for us to be still 
and in doing so we will come to truly know him. So even if you missed the seal of prompts in the psalm, God explicitly tells us to stop, to pause and to be still. You know, for us who are part of Junction 10, we've got to recognise that this is a reoccurring message over many years. To step out of the busyness, the chaos of life, to stop, to pause, to be still and know God. It's not a reason to do nothing, but a challenge to us to operate out of rest and in God's strength. With the easy yoke, rather than trying to push ahead with our plans and looking for confidence in our own strength and activity. So this week, can I encourage you, look out for those sealer moments. Those moments when we can stop, pause, reflect. And here's a few final thoughts about sealer. Sila causes us to act together. It appears in the psalm as an instruction for everyone. And for it to be effective, everyone had to follow it together. Eugene Peterson says, If its meaning is an enigma, its use is clear. Sila directed people who were together in prayer to do something or other together. Sila then cues us to meditate. When you see Selah or sense a Selah moment, pause, reflect silently on what you've just read or heard. Charles Spurgeon, he said, Selah, precious pause, timely silence. Stillness and silence are welcomed interruptions in our frenzied cacophony of a world. Martin Luther instructs, Selah is telling us to pause and reflect diligently on the words of the psalm for they require a calm and tranquil soul who is able to grasp with understanding what the Holy Ghost is presenting to the to his thought and Selah cues us to rest Charles Spurgeon again in his commentary on Psalm 46 calls us to rest from the chaos at Selah's beckoning let me read this in the midst of such a hurly-burly the music may come to a pause both to give the singer's breath and ourselves time for meditation. We are in no hurry, but we can, we can sit us down and wait while the earth dissolves and mountains rock and oceans roar. As is not the headlong rashness which passes for courage, we can calmly confront the, uh, <coughs> sorry, we can calmly confront the danger and meditate upon terror, dwelling on its separate items and united forces. The pause is not an exclamation of dismay, but merely a rest in music. We do not suspend our song in alarm, but tune our harps again with deliberation amidst a tumult of the storm. It were well if all of us could say, Selah, under tempestuous trials. But alas, too often we speak in our haste. We lay our trembling hands bewildered among the strings, strike the lyre, and with a rude crash and mar the melody of our life song. You know, ultimately, Sila is a word that reminds us to pause, to reflect on God, a God in whom we find all treasure and all knowledge, an invitation to receive and rejoice in the goodness, the beauty and truth of God. Now, if you're watching this this morning and you don't know the goodness, beauty and truth of God, We'd love to talk to you more about it. 
as Christians, we're not immune from problems in this life. You know, Christians have sadly lost their lives against this coronavirus, the same as everybody else, leaving loved ones behind. Others have been made redundant. Others have had financial security has been wiped out. But yet we have this certainty that God is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. And therefore, we will not fear. We can be still and know that God is in control and God will bring us through because the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob fights for us. If you want to know more about this peace and hope, please email us at thechurchatjunction10.com. We'll come back to you and we'll talk some more. You know, we can never truly hope to understand that all God is, all that God is, and all that he does for us on a day-to-day basis. But knowing that, you know, it's kind of fitting, isn't it, that Sila, we don't fully understand that either. It's just outside of our full understanding. And as we sing our final song this morning, part of the way through, there's an instrumental, a Sila moment. And I'd like you to take the time, while the guys are playing, to stop, to reflect on the promises of God. There's some Bible verses will pop up on the screen during the instrumental. Read those, reflect on those, if it helps you to do so. But remember this morning that he is our shield. He is our strength. He's our shelter. The one whom we can trust in at all times. Thank you.